0: Good evening and welcome to our Bible study and as you know, we're looking at the book of Revelation and this evening We're going to look at Revelation chapter 3 verse 7 through to 13 So let's just read that passage together Revelation 3 verse 7 To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write These are the words of him who is holy and true who holds the keys of David What he opens no one can shut, and what he shuts no one can open. I know your deeds, see, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you since you have kept my command to endure patiently. I will also keep you from the the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Him Who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Our Father, again we come and ask you that you will just guide us through this passage, that you will give us understanding and that we might take it and use it to your glory and to our benefit. Our Father, just guide us now as we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So we come to the Church of Philadelphia. Now, Philadelphia means one who loves his brother. In other words, it's the city of brotherly love. And as well as being a centre of Greek culture and language, it was an important trade route to Rome. It's situated about 86 miles from Smyrna. Unfortunately, it is also built on a geological fault line. Now, the Church of Philadelphia was not a large church, but it was a faithful church. And like the church at Smyrna, there are no accusations levelled. Against them. In Revelation 3, verse 7, this is the introduction that we have. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the keys of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. Here, Jesus introduces himself to this church as the one who is holy and true. I understand that there were many pagan temples in Philadelphia. It was famous for them. And there were many so-called gods that were worshipped there. And Jesus, by referring to himself as the one who is holy, is a claim that he is God. Now, the claim of being both holy and true is an affirmation that he is God, the real God. The true God, the truthful God, the trustworthy God, the only God. The God who is all-knowing. a God who will do what he says he will do, and who can do what he says he will do. You know, when we look at the writings of Paul, Paul speaks of the many gods that are worshipped by the world. And in both Acts and Galatians, he describes them as being no gods at all. And in Corinthians, he tells us this. We find this in 1 Corinthians 8, verse 5 to 6. And I'll just read these verses to you as we consider these things. Paul said, For even if there were so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, Yet for us there is but one God, the Father from whom all things come, and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came, and through whom we live. If we go on this, into this passage of Revelation, into this verse that we're looking at, the reference to hold the keys is to have the power and the authority to use them. And when the Lord opens a door, no one can shut it. And the door that he shuts, no one can open. And again, we go to Paul, the Apostle Paul, and in his life, he knew the reality of this. We read in 2 Corinthians 2 verse 12, Paul speaking, he said, now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, you see, it's the Lord who opened the door for Paul. And again, if you go to Colossians, Colossians 4 verse 3, and Paul says, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. And then again in Acts 14, verse 27, on arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. So again, this is Paul reporting back about his missionary journey. And he says it's God who opened the door of faith, the door that was opened to the Gentiles. You know, in the words of the church at Laodicea, we will hear Jesus say to them that he is the door. But for us this evening, let's go back to the church at Philadelphia. In Revelation 3 verse 8, we can head this bit, the all-knowing God. Because what Jesus says here, he says to them, I know your deeds, see? I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. This open door is a door to the gospel. These people are in minority and they seem to have come through some difficult times. They are strong, and their strength is not in themselves. It is by the power that the Lord has given them, the power to stay faithful. And now they are being encouraged to continue on in their faithfulness, their faithfulness to Jesus. And we have also in this church the door of prayer, a door that is open, a door that no one can shut. And this door is open to them. They also have the door to the kingdom, which is open to them. And by the faith and trust that they have in Jesus, they have the door to mission, which is open to them. That is to take the open door of the gospel to their city of Philadelphia. This is their mission field, their city philadelphia so we move on to verse 9 uh, and we could have this or we see in here that they are facing real opposition verse 9 i will make those who are of the synagogue of satan who claim to be jews though they are not but are liars I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. You know, in Revelation 2, verse 9, we go back to the church at Smyrna, where they also were suffering at the hands of those who were of the synagogue of Satan. You see, at this time, it was the Jewish belief that all nations would bow down before them before the Jewish people. Now, these people who had this belief might be Jewish, but they were not part of what, under the new covenant, is the true Israel. Look out for that, because we will see it again. And these people here are called, in Philadelphia, liars. And when we go back to the church at Smyrna, they are referred to as being slanderers. And their aim was to turn people against the gospel and to prevent them from gathering together in the name of Jesus. In those days, they would have gathered together in the synagogues. And they would have preached the gospel. They would worship Jesus. But they were being thrown out. And then they were being harassed. You see... The truth is Jews are not excluded from the gospel, they never have been but Satan has convinced these people that by being descendants of Abraham and Jacob they do not need the gospel. They do not need Jesus. This is the opposition that the Apostle Paul faced when he explained to them that forgiveness was found in the true once and for all sacrifice that Jesus made at Calvary and that He was the fulfillment of their law, the law that God had given to Moses, the law that they had been living by. Paul was explaining to them that Jesus had paid the price. Jesus is now the high priest. And that he presides and pleads for them at the throne of God. So that they too can be accepted and forgiven by the one that they claim is their God. And their claim is based only on the fact that they are descendants from Abraham and Jacob. Listen to how Paul puts it in Romans 6, verse, uh, Romans 9, verse 6 through to 9. Paul said this, and this is really good. It's a good explanation here for these people. And he says to them, It's not as though God's word had failed. For not all who are descendants from Israel are Israel. Nor because they are his descendants, are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it is not the children of physical descent who are God's children. But it is the the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. For this was how the promise was stated. At the appointed time, I will return and Sarah will have a son. You see, this is the promise that Jesus would be born through that line. And again in Galatians Galatians 6, verse 15 and 16, Paul says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation, peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. So back to Revelation chapter 3, and we come to verse 10. And in this verse, Jesus is saying that he understands The believers in Philadelphia, he knows all about them. He said to them, Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. You see, Jesus is the example and inspiration He knows what it was to, he knew what it was to uh, endure patiently. And he's telling them that they, they would need to continue in this way. Because their suffering would continue. And just as Jesus suffered, and just as he endured that suffering patiently, so he's encouraging these believers in Philadelphia to do the same. Now the hour of trial, it could be for them protection from the imminent hour of the official Roman persecution of the Christians. But this also speaks of God's protection for his church as it goes through coming times of persecution. When time as we know it comes to an end, the faithful in Christ will be kept. And so, in verse 11 of chapter 3, the encouragement goes on. When Jesus said, I am coming soon, hold on to what you have, so that no one will take your crown. At this point, I want us to listen to the words of James, as he speaks in James chapter 5, verse 8, as he speaks to believers, believers who are suffering. He says, you too. Be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. And we can also go to the words of Peter in 1 Peter 4, verse 4 and 5. And he says this, They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living. And they heap abuse on you, but they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And when we come to the writer of the Hebrews, a letter that was written specifically for, for Jewish believers, in verse uh, 37, uh, chapter 10, we have these words, For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. So to Revelation 3, verse 12. And this is where we have to think about how Jesus introduced himself to them and how he has been speaking to them and how he's going to speak to them. He's speaking to a people who live with the threats of their buildings being destroyed by earth tremors. And these earth tremors might destroy their houses and it might cause them to leave their homes. History tells us that during this period, some of the people lived outside of the city in wooden buildings because of the threat of earthquakes and because of these earth tremors. This was a dangerous place for them to live, although it was a big city. So here we have words of encouragement framed in a way that they would understand. So the first part of verse 12 The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. Okay, remember those words as we think about this. Galatians 2 verse 9, We read this; these words. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars. You see, they were the people who were pillars of the church in the days of the apostles. And it reminds us that the people are the church. And they are like pillars, pillars that are built on a firm foundation, pillars that would withstand the tremors of opposition and abuse, whose foundations would hold them firm during any spiritual earthquake. Jesus is speaking about a secure home prepared for them in a place that they would never have to leave and in the meantime they were like pillars standing on the firm foundation of the gospel and of the one who is Jesus and then we come to the second part of verse 12 and we read I will write on them the name of my God he's speaking about the people here I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God the new Jerusalem which is coming down out of heaven from my God and I will also write on them my new name. As I've mentioned, these words are to a people who live in a city that suffers earthquakes. They're also living in a city that has in the past had its name changed. It's good to look at the history of these places. You see, from the name Philadelphia, the change was made to call the city Neo-Caesarea, which means the city of Caesar. And then that same city, which is now called Neo-Caesarea, was changed to be called Flavia. And that's because that was the family name of Vespasian. You see, this was to placate the Caesars and the leaders of their day. And then the city was changed back to Philadelphia, the one who loves his brother. You see, these Christians in Philadelphia are being told that they will live in a new city called the City of My God and they will enter it in the new name that God has and a new name that he has for them. When we go through the book of Revelation, we will often refer back to the Old Testament and the prophecies there. And in Ezekiel, Ezekiel 48, verse 35, it's a good uh, passage to look at, to look at the background of this. But just for this evening, I just want to share this one verse with you. And Ezekiel said this, the distance the distance all around, he's speaking about the city, the new city, the new Jerusalem. The city all around will be 18,000 cubics and the name of the city from that time on will be the Lord is there. So Revelation 3 verse 13. The same call to them that has been made to all the churches so far. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay, so the book of Revelation was written for the churches of the past, the churches that were around in John's day. But the book of Revelation was also written for the churches of the present day. That is, our churches today. And the book of Revelation was written for the churches of the future. In short, the book of Revelation is for the church. The church that is God's church. The church that is now known as the New Israel. And then we come to the end of this um, le- this part of the letter to the church here in Philadelphia. But I want us, as we draw to a close this evening, to just go back to verse 11 of this chapter 3 as we think about it in these our days. Verse 11, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown and I thought that I'd finish with a few words from Peter for us to consider after we've had a look at this passage and we've looked at the letter which is addressed to the church at Philadelphia so it's 1 Peter chapter 2 and it's verse 4 through to 10 so let me just read it to you as you think about the words that we're hearing and Peter said as you come to him The living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone that builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, But now you have received mercy. Do you notice that word? Peter says, Once you were not a people. That's a group, isn't it? That's just one person. But now you are the people of God. Let's just pray. Father, we just pray that as we look at this book of Revelation, that you will open our eyes to the things that you want us to understand things that we need to know in this, our generation, because we are part of that bigger picture that we are reading about. And we, like those who have gone before us and those who will come after us, will look forward to the day when you return. Our Father, just encourage us and lead us towards that day as we go in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, next week, we're going to have a look at Revelation 3, verse 14 uh, through to 22. And that is the uh, reference to the last of the seven churches, the church at Laodicea. And then what we're going to do after that, we're going to sort of put together what we've learned from all seven of these churches. And hear what God is saying to us today. Oh, let's look forward to that. In the meantime, God bless.